Welcome to Heart of the Matter, a podcast series of the Heart Foundation of Jamaica, where we'll continue to discuss issues concerning your health. I'm your host, Vanetta Nurse. Our fourth episode today will explore school nutrition policies and the importance of creating a healthy school food environment, which supports healthy eating and physical activity in our schools. We want to make sure that when our children go to school, they do so in a safe and healthy way. Joining us today are Dr. Audrey Morris, Decentralized Regional Advisor, Food and Nutrition Advisor at PAHO WHO Office for Jamaica, Ms. Nicole Foster, who is a Policy Advisor at the Healthy Caribbean Coalition, and Deputy Dean at the Faculty of Law, University of the West Indies Cave Hill Campus in Barbados, Ms. Novia Condell, who is a Health Specialist, at the United Nations Children's Fund UNICEF and Dr. Vanessa White Barrow, nutritionist and head of the School of Allied Health and Wellness, College of Health Sciences, UTEC, Jamaica. Thank you all for joining us. So let's start with um, the concept of a school nutrition policy. Um, Dr. Morris, can you just break this down for us? What exactly is the school nutrition policy and why is it so important from the PAHO's policy perspective? Thank you so much for having me. A comprehensive national school nutrition policy is very important because this is what provides the framework for coherence in governmental action to improve dietary patterns and increase physical activity in the school setting. So with overweight and obesity now having overtaken um, undernutrition and deficiency diseases as the main nutrition problems which are affecting children and adolescents. Schools need to ensure that their students are offered balanced meals in an environment that's supportive. It supports their, their lifelong skills for making good food choices and for being physically active. Yes, the food nutrition policies are foundational to foster healthy eating practices at an early age. So have any other countries in the Caribbean implemented such a policy? Yes, there are various countries in the Caribbean which are at different stages of developing nutrition policies for their schools. And PAHO is providing support to several of these countries. And one of the main areas of support is in improving the food environment by developing and helping countries to apply standards for foods available in schools. So these policies and the standards, often uh, we encourage the use of the PAHO nutrient profiles so that foods which are excessive in fats, sodium, sugars, and sweeteners are restricted at school. Okay, can you share some of those success stories across the region or from other countries? I'm not going to pinpoint a particular country, but I can tell you that the World Health Organization has done, um, they have done their research on this and they have stated that they, their studies show that the countries across the world which use multiple approaches, so they include the school um, curriculum, what is taught in terms of nutrition and, uh, and, and also physical activity, the school environment for nutrition and physical activity, parental involvement, um, what is served at school, and a comprehensive approach. Therefore, that when schools take this approach, there's a positive effect on weight-related outcomes, such as students' body mass index, BMI, the biochemical measures, such as um, blood lipids, also blood pressure, 
the dietary income. So there is reduced intake of sugar-sweetened beverages or, or fruits and vegetables. So there's a better effect when a comprehensive approach is taken. Mm, certainly very instructive for us in the region and in individual countries. So we want to start with discussing the concept of the school nutrition policy and why it's so important. Dr. Morris, can you tell us what the school nutrition policy is and why it's so important from a PAHO policy perspective? A comprehensive national school nutrition policy is important because this provides the framework for coherence in the governmental action to improve the dietary patterns and increase physical activity in the school setting. So overweight and obesity have now overtaken the undernutrition and deficiency diseases, which used to be the main problems affecting children and adolescents. And now more than ever, schools need to ensure that students are offered balanced meals in an environment that supports their lifelong skills for making good food choices and for being physically active. So PAHO encourages governments to adopt policies that support a healthy food environment at school and therefore limits the availability of products high in salt, sugar, and fats. So there need to be standards for all the foods and beverages sold or served in schools. Um, the curriculum needs to be supportive as well. And the health promotion and extracurricular activities should be they should reinforce the nutrition and physical activity concepts that are being taught. As we continue to discuss um, the rise of the child to good health and nutritious food, I'm going to turn to Miss Nicole Foster, Policy Advisor at the Healthy Carbon Coalition. Um, Nicole, UNICEF as a UN body has been clear about what we need to do to protect our children's health and PAHO WHO has indicated those best practice. So it's now up to governments to act on their recommendations. Do you believe we have been upholding these fundamental rights of our children? Thanks, Vanetta. And, and, and certainly what I would say is I do believe that our governments are committed to a human rights approach to these problems and committed to the rights of our children. However, what is clear as well is that we need a lot less talk and a lot more action. And so we have had, as you know, for example, since 2016, we've had our heads of state talking about the serious problem of childhood obesity, talking about the action that needs to be taken for it to happen, whether it be front of pack labeling, whether it be marketing, uh, regulating the marketing of, of unhealthy foods and drinks within schools and, and to children generally. But still today in 2021, we're still having that discussion. We do not have as yet, and we would have seen in the context of, for example, the agenda that UNICEF put out in their state of the world's children, um, you know, the call for legislation and these types of, of actions by government to really have the type of concrete action that we need to see meaningful results on the ground. So I think, unfortunately, we are, while we remain committed in principle and at the political level, we've had a lot of, of sort of promises made. Um, we have not as yet seen the sort of really formal, concrete action that we need. And even if we look at something like the, I, I was just quickly checking the latest um, statistics in relation to the implementation of the code on marketing of breast 
feeding substitutes. And within CARICOM, only Trinidad and Tobago of all of us has any legislation that speaks to this. And even Trinidad's legislation is rated at a rate of 30, 21 out of 100 in terms of the overall effectiveness, you know, when you put together all the package. Um, so I think we have a long ways to go yet. Well, certainly we are committed and we know what to do and we certainly need action, especially in the context of our children. So where do we go from here? Um, what are some of the policies that we can, the governments can implement or should ensure um, their implementation to help protect these rights of the children? Well, as I was just briefly mentioning, and, and, and as I said, you know, this is not anything that is new. This is not anything that we're starting from scratch with. As you pointed out, WHO, UNICEF, PAHO have been for many years now in the forefront of articulating much of what needs to be done. And when we look at, for example, as I said, the UNICEF State of the World's Children's Report of 2019, they very clearly articulate their front of pack labeling marketing the regulation of marketing of unhealthy foods and creation of a school food environment that is healthier. We know we tend to have school environments that are highly obesogenic and we want to see action taken there in terms of the marketing of unhealthy foods. We don't at this time have um, in, in the region the the, the types of policies or legislation, for example, that we're seeing in much of Latin America, certain Chile, and these countries have been leading the way in these areas. And then, of course, we have the front of part labeling. And, and we should mention, and I do acknowledge, that the region has been trying to move forward on this front. And we do currently have actively under consideration within the cross-Q process, the discussion as it relates to what type of front of part labeling scheme will the, will the region um, adopt as part of our response to these challenges. Thank you, Ms. Foster. Um, and certainly we need to press ahead on these very important matters because um, when it comes to our children, you know, it's critical for us to be able to protect pretty much our future. They are the future. We will now take a break for an important message. Do we know what we're eating? Important information about unhealthy foods doesn't always get to us, and this can lead to wrong choices. One in two Jamaicans is overweight or obese. Obesity increases the risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, 13 types of cancer, and even death. We need full information on food labels. We have the right to know what we're eating. What's in our food? Give us the facts. A message from the Heart Foundation of Jamaica, the Minister of Health and Wellness, and the National Consumers League of Jamaica. Welcome back. So we've heard PAHO's and WHO's recommendations in terms of protecting our children's health. And we've heard some critical statistics as it relates to overweight and obesity, as well as the need to have a comprehensive approach to approaching nutrition and physical activity in schools to create a healthy school environment. Also, UNICEF's agenda as it relates to putting children's nutrition rights first. And we heard from Miss Nicole Foster on some of the things that we really need to move ahead with urgently and critically. So we're joined by Dr. Vanessa White Barrow, who is a nutritionist, and um, we would like to speak a little bit about a healthy school food environment and how this will look in our context in Jamaica. 
Dr. White Barrow, since March 2020, some of our schools have been closed due to COVID-19. But prior to that, what were some of the major concerns in terms of our school food environment? The major um, concerns with respect to the school food environment were the ease of access by our children to foods that promote weight gain, especially you know, those foods that are high in fats, trans fats, saturated fat, but also those that included added sugar, in particular the sugar-sweetened beverages. They get these mainly from foods that they purchase from the school canteens, tuck shops, and a study that was done back in 2011, the Health Promoting School Survey, that was conducted by the Ministry of Health's Epidemiology Research and Data Analysis U Unit had actually revealed back then that more than 60% of our children um, purchased their lunch from the school canteens and up to about 39% of them get their lunches from the vendors. Less than 20% get um, take food from home. Now, those that purchase from the vendors are especially of concern because these vendors are usually conveniently positioned at the gates or in close proximity to the schools. And they're generally outside the control of the school staff. So you find that, you know, it's very easy for the children to purchase these foods from them. Also, this is happening in the context of children who are not very physically active. So this, of course, will exacerbate the problem. And this is of particular concern because this is what paves the way for generations of children that will have poor dietary habits, as well as they are likely to be um, the ones showing up in adulthood with increased cases of overweight and obesity and chronic non-communicable diseases. And of course, we know that this means that in the future, Jamaica will continue to face a very high public health bill, as well as loss of productivity among the workforce, largely because of increasingly sick persons who have these diseases. So it is of concern and needs to be addressed urgently. Of course, and as a parent, it's of you know particular concern, the long-standing effects of unhealthy eating habits at such a very young age. Um, how would a school nutrition policy transform our school environment in Jamaica to a healthier school environment for our children? Well, certainly the school nutrition policy should aim to improve the nutritional as well as the health status, especially of our children in the school community, by largely promoting healthy eating and physical activity among the children. And this policy framework should, of course, include programs that will address, you know, curriculum issues relating to the children's knowledge about healthy food options, the importance of physical activity, and, of course, the impact on both current and future health um, status and physical well-being as well as their performance. It should also address, um, the curriculum should address issues relating to skill development. You know, 
empowering our children to become more independent, especially in the context where we recognize that many of them are, you know, making their own food choices, preparing their own meals. And what this means is they're never too young to learn important skills to, you know, prepare healthy snack apps, um, snack options for themselves. So they can do sandwiches by themselves. They can make their own smoothies. And, you know, when they learn how to do these things from early, it empowers them to become independent adults who can make better decisions with respect to their dad. And also, you know, they develop the enthusiasm around physical activity that will motivate them to, you know, be physically active and make it part of their daily lifestyle. So it really starts within the school. Another very important um, matter that needs to be addressed in the school policy is, of course, creating this enabling environment that will, of course, increase the availability of healthful foods um, and not just making them available so that, you know, wherever you go, if it's the canteen or even at the um, at the point of the vendors, you know, the healthful food, foods are available. But also ensure that, um, you know, they it is within their budget range so they can purchase it. Because that's important. And also, you know, promote their consumption. If they notice that the fruits are usually um, stale or, you know, they don't look fresh, it's less likely that they're going to maintain that kind of um, pattern of intake. And also it should restrict their access, access to unhealthy food choices that are now so freely available to them. But then again, you know, we live in a developing country and we should also be mindful of the school nutrition um, or food um, school feeding programs within these schools. I think that is an important um, program that our school nutrition policy needs to address. Um, you know, ensuring that those that are involved in the preparation of foods in the canteens, etc., that these are individuals that are complying with the standards that have been developed to ensure that, you know, the children and the other members of the school community that they are eating within the dietary um, guidelines, but also ensuring ensuring that you know the standards are being adhered to with respect to the food quality. And then you know we should also be mindful of the fact that these school feeding programs they usually are an important safety net for many of our food insecure um, children you know, coming from households that are very vulnerable, especially, um, you know, post-COVID-19. I know that's something we have to be aware of, but we should be mindful that these programs should not just be designed to meet the nutritional needs of the children, but they should also be developed in a way that they will reduce the adverse effects um, that are associated with the consumption of poor quality food. And that has been a problem in the past. And I think that is an important um, 
reason why we are now where we are because the emphasis used to be on ensuring that our children avoid nutritional deficiencies and underconsumption of food. And so people just think that, you know, it's sufficient to have the food available and it doesn't matter whether it's high in carbs or, um, you know, if the nutrients are there. But now that we're also seeing the impact with respect to overnutrition, it means that we're at that place now where we also have to be mindful of the quality of the foods that are served within these um, school feeding programs. And then, of course, another important um, factor that we have to consider is the whole matter of marketing um, these foods and especially the beverages because we recognize that many individuals who are entrepreneurial, they usually see the school community as, you know, a body where it's a captain, captive audience for persons who, you know, will purchase their products and especially children who like sweet foods and, um, you know, beverages. You know, you find that frequently many schools, sometimes they depend on commercial enterprise for donations and gifts in order to fund their, you know, their school activities and their programs. And this also is something that I think the school nutrition policy should address in order to ensure that the school community, um, you know, is not vulnerable to the impact of, um, you know, the poor marketing of these food and beverages that promote weight gain. Thank you, Dr. White Barrow. And um, of course, w when we do implement our school nutrition policy, we will require multi-sectoral collaboration from all that you've said. So we'll require some amount of commitment from agricultural health and the education ministries and agencies as well. And, you know, it's, it's good that you mentioned agriculture because, you know, what you find too is many of the school nutrition um, feeding programs that exist, you know, many, um, very often, they do not utilize the local unprocessed foods that are available. And, you know, this helps to drive the demand which keeps our farmers working. And I think that's an important um, um, aspect of our feeding programs that we also need to address through our school nutrition policy, where the foods are sourced. Certainly, um, to provide that kind of link between farmers and schools would be beneficial to, to both. So I would like to thank all of our guests today, Dr. Audrey Morris, Ms. Nicole Foster, Ms. Novia Condell, and Dr. Vanessa White Barrow for providing a much needed elaboration on this topic. I'm so happy we had the opportunity to have this very important discussion. And we hope this information will inspire us to get moving on this particular issue, to take action, to take the necessary steps to protect our children's health by creating a school environment that will foster food security and also lifelong healthy behaviors in our children, which can have ripple effects as it relates to productivity and of course, our economy. Be sure to join us for the next episode where we'll be talking about the economic impact of food policies. 
In case you missed any of what we discussed in this podcast, you can visit the Heart Foundation of Jamaica's website, www.heartfoundation.org, to listen to the podcast recording. For more information on non-communicable diseases, visit the website and social media platforms of the Heart Foundation of Jamaica and the Ministry of Health and Wellness. Music